Due to scenes of graphic violence, listener discretion is advised. Do you really know the world surrounding you? Do you sometimes feel that other worlds seem to exist beneath the surface of space, time, and reality? Can you picture in your head a situation where all these worlds crash down around you? Can you touch the other side? These are the tales of the fantastical, the macabre, and the supernatural. Boldly influenced in depth by the powers that were, the powers that are, and the powers that will be. Welcome to Dark Charm Presents. Episode 3, The Wrong House. Ricky was shocked out of his unconsciousness by the feel of ice-cold water as it slapped into his face. He opened his eyes to see a young woman standing in front of him with a bucket in her hand. Hey there, Skippy! Ricky was about to respond to her, but no words came out. His words were muffled. He looked at the woman and she shook her head. Oh, I'm sorry. I can't understand you. Maybe it's that duct tape I got over your mouth there. She was a slim woman who couldn't have been more than 17. She had short-cropped blonde hair and was very athletic in build. She was quite beautiful, but at this point Ricky had no idea what to think about all of this. He tried to take in his surroundings. He had been trying to rob this house. He needed money for gambling debts, so had been trying to get what he needed by robbing unsuspecting houses in better neighborhoods. He realized just how severe his situation was when he looked down at his body. He was duct-taped to a large wooden chair. She put down the bucket and put her hands on her hips. Are you comfy? <laughs> Ricky struggled against his bonds and yelled at her, but it just came out as a muffled mess. I'll just go ahead and take that as a yes. The woman pointed to her television nearby. Do you, uh, recognize this movie at all? Ricky closed his eyes, but knew that the police most likely were coming soon, so he didn't mind the young woman's diatribe. He finally looked at the television. The movie was something he had seen before. Stephen King's Misery. His eyes widened as she nodded. Remember what happened to James Kahn's character, Paul? Good old Paul. Well, Andy Wilkes never wanted him to leave. And he wasn't going to leave. And you're in the same situation. You see that cinder block strapped to your ankles, huh? <laughs> His muffled complaints fell on deaf ears. She sat on a chair near him. He noticed that there was a sledgehammer. You came to the wrong fucking house, and you messed with the wrong fucking girl. You came here to rob my parents blind, and you were going to rape me. <laughs> Ricky shook his head. There's no way this was real. This had to be a gag. Where was this coming from, he thought. He never had a single notion of raping anyone. He just wanted cash or something that he could pawn to help. I'm pretty sure you came here to steal my shit and fuck me. What are we going to do about this? Don't worry. The cops aren't on their way. Why would I call the cops? I don't even like the cops. All they do is make matters worse. Ricky's face grew sullen under the duct tape. This was no gag. This was no joke. He knew what was going to happen to him now. He was at the mercy of this psychotic young woman. She sighed and stared at the floor. <sighs> Let's get started. She grabbed the sledgehammer and stood up and walked toward him like she was going to pound a drywall. 
that she was going to do this to a human being didn't register in her radar of things that people shouldn't do to other people. Neither was stealing, Ricky thought. Maybe this was what he deserved. When she got too close, Ricky jumped in his seat, which sent him backwards onto the floor with a wooden slam. He landed with the ridges of the chair slamming into his back. He winced in pain as he felt his back shift. could sense a glee no one should have seen coming from the blonde. Oh, thank you so much. Uh, now you're in much better position so I can take care of my problem. He couldn't see what she was doing, but he could indeed feel it as she swung the sledgehammer at his first ankle, shattering the bones of his feet. <laughs> Tears erupted from the pain and he shouted beneath the gauze and tape. Two seconds later, his other foot shared the same fate. <laughs> Among the muffled wailing and crying, the woman smiled at her handiwork. Now we can fully get started! You're gonna come into my house and steal my foster parent stuff? And you were gonna rape me? You got another fucking thing coming! Ricky's face was beet red and impotent with rage. He couldn't do anything against this woman. Snot dripped profusely out of his nose and he couldn't breathe. His mouth was covered and he felt himself getting faint. Ricky couldn't take it as the darkness grew and enveloped him. He passed out once more. <laughs> you dumb motherfucker! <laughs> He awoke to find himself back right side up. He felt colder, because as his eyesight adjusted to his darker surroundings. He awoke to find himself back right side up. He felt colder, as his eyesight adjusted to his darker surroundings. He didn't know how much time he spent out, but it was enough so that oddly he felt a little refreshed. He noticed that the gag was no longer over his mouth. Help me! Somebody help me! He tried to move around, but the pain in his ankles forbid him from doing too much. He didn't know where the woman went, but all he knew was that he needed to get out of there. He had no way of cutting himself free. In the room, there was a blowtorch. Maybe if he was able to get to the torch, he could get himself free. The thought went away as he started to hear footsteps coming from nearby. It was the woman. Oh, my little shit pot's awake. Let me just jump for fucking joy! He wondered at first why she called him Shitpot, until he actually smelled what happened while he was out. He had shit himself, probably from the pain and trauma that he was experiencing. What the fuck is wrong with you? Are you some fucking sadist or something? <laughs> you know what? That's the same thing my psychiatrist said. She reared back and belted him in the face with a closed fist. <laughs> a trickle of blood came out of his mouth. Ah! She flexed her fist as if to get used to the punching. Yeah, um, I would go ahead and keep your talking to a minimum because my foster parents are upstairs. Maybe they could help him, he thought swiftly. Help me! Help me, please! She punched Ricky again and again. I told you to stop with that screaming shit! Ricky's face contorted in anguish as the sting from her punches seemed to touch every nerve. Once she stopped hitting him, she bent over to address him as though he were a toddler. Are we done? Ricky nodded sheepishly. Good. So, before I was so rudely interrupted, I was saying that my foster parents are here, but they're old and deaf as fuck. They're upstairs, so yelling at them is just going to fucking piss me off. So I had to take a break because my little boy passed out. But I figured that was going to happen. What have I ever done to you? The young woman looked at him as if he said the stupidest thing ever. What did you do? What did you do? You came in this house. 
You came in this house to fucking rob me and rape me and steal our shit? I did not try to rape you. But it was on your mind. It's on every man's mind. It was at this point that Ricky knew he wasn't dealing with someone who was mentally stable anymore, and he knew that he was in for it. Maybe if he tried fooling her, she would let him go. You're not even my type. What? Are you fucking gay? What's wrong with me? I'm a very attractive woman. She was. That was simple. Psychotic seemed to rip that attractiveness right off of her. I'm not gay. You're just, you're blonde, and, and that's not my thing. She folded her arms in disgust. Hmm. I just don't know what I'm going to do with you. You little fucking liar. I don't want you. Why the hell would I want you? You just broke my ankles, and you've made your fucking point. So, why don't you just let me go, you know? And I promise I won't rob anyone ever again. In fact, just call the police. Turn my ass into them. She paced the floor listening to him as if in a psychotic episode. I know I did, and I'm so sorry. Sorry, uh, yeah, I heard that line before, uh, many fucking times in my life. Ricky stared at the young woman. What trauma did this girl go through to make her turn into this predator? She could have been a happy woman. Finally, he just asked her. What happened to make you this way? She stopped pacing and gave him an icy, cold stare. Why would you give a shit anyway? What do you care? Look at me. What do you think? Considering I'm your prisoner, I think I should know. She sighed and pulled a pair of needle-nosed pliers out from her back pocket. Well, I'll tell you what. What happened to me will never happen again. A glossy-eyed response came from her. It was as if she fell into a trance. She grabbed one of his fingernails with the pliers. No, no, God, please, no, no! He screamed in agony as she ripped it off of him. (laughs) Blood gushed from the now gaping wound as Ricky watched a fountain of red liquid stream onto the chair and then to the cold cement floor. (laughs) Buckle up, asshole! Your night is just getting started. The next day was cold and rainy. Much cooler and rainier than normal this time of year, Detective Miguel Diaz thought, as he pulled his police-issue SUV into the driveway of a small house in the suburbs. The police received an anonymous tip that strange and disturbing noises described as someone being tortured or murdered were coming out of the basement of this quaint little home. It was a sturdy rancher built with red brick and brown shingled roof. Diaz tried to see if there were any preliminary reports from the boys on the scene, but they were almost non-existent. He had to see what was going on for himself. When he got out of the SUV, he stepped into a giant puddle. Fuck! He opened his umbrella. He got it up and walked toward the house. He saw several officers running out of the home with their hands over their mouths and noses. Smell bad in there? Detective Diaz asked as he walked up to them. One of the policemen, a big burly black cop with a mustache, literally wretched his lunch onto the ground. The other one, a white guy and a little taller and lankier, pointed toward the house. You gotta see this. Smells god-awful in there. His soaked shoes squelched as he walked the concrete path leading into the house. The closer he got, the smell of death greeted him more. It was like an old friend and it had been there quite a while. Oh, dear Lord. 
He pulled his handkerchief from his pocket and put it up to his nose. When he got inside, he shook out his umbrella and left it to the side. He saw sitting down on the couches nearby an older thin man with a full head of gray hair and a bigger brunette woman with really thick glasses and a younger blonde woman burgeoning on the edge of adulthood. All three were in handcuffs. Diaz was shocked that there was an officer with a stomach to stay in the house still around. She was a tall blonde woman with short hair and the standard issue hat upon her head. He had never met her before, but she was an eyeful for Diaz to be sure. She turned toward Diaz and pointed at the girl. Hello, detective. The suspect is Tracy Murray Osgood. She is the foster child of Amelia and Chucky Gaylord. Diaz stared at her as he wiped his feet on the doormat nearby. The young girl is the suspect? I'm not a young girl. I'm 17. Tracy Osgood stared at him as if to burn a hole into his brain. What is this all about? Yeah, what's this about? You need to speak up because I can barely hear, Hon. Diaz pulled the policeman aside and stepped in close to whisper. What do they know yet? What's been told to them? Only what I have told them. They haven't gone downstairs yet. Diaz looked at her incredulously. Really? They can't smell this? I guess they're nose blind to it, detective. Diaz pulled a pair of neoprene gloves out of his pocket. He pulled them over his hands and walked into the kitchen to where the smell got even stronger. He wasn't going to bother talking to them until he has gotten the lay of the land down in the basement. Oh, God. Diaz gagged as he opened the door of the basement and walked down the wooden flight of stairs. They creaked and moaned, but they were sturdy and held his weight. When he got to the basement floor, he pulled a flashlight from his gun belt to give it extra illumination. The ambience was shabby and that the light bulb dangling from the ceiling was on its last legs. Diaz was hit from all angles by the stench, but followed what he could to a room downstairs. As he entered the room, his eyes began to adjust to what was there. His flashlight focused on the floor when he saw two human bodies in various forms of decay sprawled on the concrete, one male and one female. They were stripped of all clothing and had all manner of injuries inflicted upon them. Just exactly what type and how they died would have to wait for later for the autopsies. The police officer called to him from upstairs. Hey, detective, you might want to see the other room. We actually have an ID on the third victim. Third victim? Diaz carefully walked into the next room. The room was bland, ordinary. It could have been used at some point as an office or bedroom, but was stripped bare except sheetrock walls. Inside the room was a man who was duct taped to a cracked wooden chair. His clothes were burned off, and he noticed residue from a blowtorch on his skin. The victim's fingernails, all ten, were ripped off of his hands. His blood had seeped into the very wood of the chair. His face was battered and bruised. Most of his teeth were gone. He had been fish-hooked on both sides of his mouth, and gouges deepened into his cheeks. It reminded Diaz of the Joker from The Dark Knight. Diaz bent over and saw that the corpse's ankles were broken, shattered to pieces. Diaz's gaze rose up and met the genital area and saw that he was dismembered and burned with the same blowtorch to cauterize the wound. He didn't know if it was psychosomatic or not, but he actually smelled a bit of charred flesh from his direction. He stood up and looked to the right of the corpse. The victim's severed penis was on the floor next to the body. It was thrown there as if it was not a care in the world for its use. Diaz shook his head in sadness and disgust. The brutality was something out of a pulp magazine he used to read as a kid, and the stuff that serial killers were made of. This girl, if indeed it was her, was completely savage. 
He heard the sound of footsteps behind him again as he turned around. The police officer gave him an electric tablet. Pretty brutal, huh? Guy's name was Richard Cow, who went by the name Ricky. He had a lengthy rap sheet of burglary and armed robbery that went all the way into his childhood. Diaz sensed a motive. So he was trying to break in here? I believe so. The only problem was that Miss Osgood got to him first. Diaz pointed into the other room. No, no, not a chance. This could be her. There's no way someone like this could have done this. There's two other bodies in there. She had to have help. The policeman smiled, as if not believing what she was hearing. What? Because she was a girl? Detective, if you really believe that, I think you should talk to the girl. I haven't checked it out yet, but I'm pretty sure this girl is clearly psychotic. There has to be a story behind all of this. So you think this was all insanity? (sighs) Honestly, this falls on the line of whether or not it was premeditated or out of passion. She did a very good job of revealing just how much of a monster she really is. Maybe we can get that in the questioning. I never got your name, officer. She looked back at him coyly. I never gave it. She pointed to the tag on her shirt. It said, S. Doretta. Okay, S. Doretta. Let's get to the bottom of this. Hours later, Detective Diaz had brought the Gaylords and their foster child to the police station. He had felt it best to interrogate the Gaylords first, so he put them in one room and Tracy in the other. The elderly couple had no idea what had happened downstairs in their basement, and what had gone on for almost a year and a half. Through questioning, Diaz asked about it, how it had come to pass that Tracy Osgood had come to live with them in the first place. The story they told was startling, to say the least. Tracy was physically abused as a child. After her biological mother passed away, she and her younger brother were physically abused by her father. Every mistake, even the most trivial, got a beating. It was unnecessary and negligent parenting. For years, the kids endured the beatings until matters got worse. He remarried. The woman that her father married was just as bad as he was, and instead of worrying about just one parent, they had to worry about two. The new bride, or step-monster as the Gaylords called her, had three kids of her own. And this was the elder stepbrother that added a new brand of horror to Tracy's life. He raped her. No one believed her story because she lied so much to get out of trouble with them that it just became commonplace to deny it. This was until the same stepbrother raped her brother as well. The Gaylord said a dark side began to rise in Tracy. One day after she came home from school, her younger brother never came home. She never found out the full details of what happened to him, and this catalyst was the thing that pushed her over the edge. Tracy found the elder stepbrother, who was staying in their basement smoking weed, and she beat him within an inch of his life with an aluminum baseball bat. She would have killed him if the police didn't get to her first. They sympathized with Tracy and pulled her away from the family. The Gaylords, who saw all of this coming from afar, being that they were related to her biological mother, decided that they would take the poor girl in. Her mental evaluations from several psychiatric doctors knew that she had experienced massive traumas over and over again in her life. Once she got to the Gaylord's home, she became their angel. Anything that they needed, she helped provide. It wasn't long after that that Tracy's mood changed. They didn't know what caused it, but she became moody. She displayed suicidal tendencies, and the Gaylords found evidence of alcoholism and cutting. 
Detective Diaz let them leave and motioned Officer Doretta to bring in Tracy Osgood. Following is a recording of the interrogation. How are you, Tracy? You feeling comfortable? Okay, then. We talked to Mr. and Mrs. Gaylord, but we also wanted to hear from you about what had happened to you. What was it that happened to you? What did I tell you? That I was abused as a child? That I almost beat my rapist to death? Yes, and they also mentioned your brother, the one that went missing. Do you want to talk about him? Nope. Why not? My brother's none of your fucking business. I think in this situation is a matter of extreme importance, Miss Osgood. It was what threw you over the edge. You're so naive. Come again? You really think that my brother disappearing was what threw me over the edge? I was already here! He found a way out, and I'm glad he did. But we have no record of where he would be. He's been missing for two years. That tale that I didn't know where he was or what happened is bullshit. Why would I inform my abusers where the most precious thing in my life is located? You think I'd compromise his safety? Or think again. I'm not a fucking snitch. Snitches get stitches, bitches. But is he safe? He better be. And don't give me that line about needing to know for his welfare. Welfare didn't do jack shit for us when we needed them. They sided with my father and that piece of shit stepmother of mine. Hell, even our church didn't bother to dig in the details of our life. They just saw us as this perfect little intact family. And the fuckers got money together for this mission to Romania fund. There was poor people in our congregation who really could have used that money. We had no food. We had nothing. More than those fucks in Romania. Who were the corpses in the other room in the basement? Ha ha ha! You couldn't go through your little bag of cop tricks to find that out. It's obvious. They're your elder stepbrother and stepmother? Close, but no cigar detective. But I'll give you a hint. They deserved every fucking bit of what they got. And what about Ricky Cal? Did he deserve it? Oh, yeah, he did. He planned on robbing my foster parents and fucking raping me. Do you know if he planned on raping you? I can understand justice, Miss Osgood, but why do you... Why did you do that in that way? Can't answer me on this, can you? Uh, I could, but I don't think that would really matter in this situation. I wouldn't know about that. Justice doesn't come from the police. That's enough, Detective Diaz. Why? What's the matter, Captain? State's attorney has issued a full mental evaluation of Miss Osgood. All interrogations are to cease until it's done. It was hard for him to admit, but this case frightened Diaz to the core. Was this girl insane? A monster? These questions ran through his brain. He couldn't sleep because her eyes were haunting. It felt like looking into the eyes of a cobra, a stone-cold predator, the most animalistic human he could possibly ever encounter. But would all the abuse she had been through be enough to turn any person insane? Would it be enough to transform a sweet girl into a savage beast for the sake of survival? She knew exactly what she was doing, and he didn't buy the crazy talk. She was an instrument of death. But the questions kept coming back. Could all those abuses create this young woman? Diaz was not a psychiatrist, so he didn't know. But time, and the mental evaluation, would tell. Several days later, Diaz got a phone call from Officer Doretta. She told him that Osgood was released from jail and sent to a psychiatric facility. 
they found out where she stood on the insanity plea. She was deemed mentally ill by the state, and Diaz was asked to show up for the sentencing. The judge, who had been there long past his prime as far as Diaz was concerned, banged his gavel to get order in the court. Order in the court! In the case of Tracy Osgood versus State of Maryland, the jury has found the defendant guilty by reason of insanity. She is to be remanded to Shepherd Pratt Medical Facility, where she can get the care she needs. Court is adjourned. It was a cop-out for the judge. He was always too lenient on those deemed mentally unstable. Diaz locked eyes with Tracy Osgood. What he saw horrified him, as a sharp grin came to her. It mocked him and the justice system. It also mocked the people she killed. She knew what she was doing, and she was able to fake it. Before Diaz knew it, the people started to scream and disperse in panicked fashion. Diaz wondered what was going on until he saw blood trickle down the face of Tracy Osgood. Her soul left her body as she fell over the partition gate and slammed to the floor. Diaz saw that predatorial gleam exit her eyes. Several policemen grabbed Diaz and got him to the floor. It was then that he realized he had pulled his pistol from his gun belt and shot Tracy Osgood in the forehead. He didn't even know he was doing it until it was too late. Maybe she was right, Diaz thought. Maybe justice didn't come from cops. The End Dark Charm Presents The Wrong House is a presentation of Dark Charm Media 2019. In the cast you've heard, The Gatekeeper and Chucky Gaylord, played by Daniel McCloskey. Tracy Osgood, played by Stacey Atwell. Ricky Cowell, Cop One, and Captain Rosario, played by Robert Hunter. Officer Doretta, Amelia Gaylord, played by Katie Goss. And Miguel Diaz, the judge, played by Danny Atwell. All rights reserved. Stay tuned for the next episode.